The old part of me that had to die was the part of me that wanted to fit in and wanted to belong and wanted to appease. The part of me that needed to come is the courage to just really just be what I am and say what I really think and feel. Even on this interview, the old me wanted to say things that would be approved of. And the new me is like, just say what you really think. The car accident got me to realize that I was making poor choices. And, and as long as I'm making good choices in my real life, not on social media, not on TikTok, like in my real life, that's all that matters to me. Am I making positive choices every single day aligned with my highest self? And if that's a yes, and it's getting better every day, then, then, then hell yeah, that's what success means to me. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, seven hatters. Today, we dive deep into three hats, the athlete, the entrepreneur, and the servant, as we discuss health, wealth, and love with my guest, Alan Lazaros. Alan is the co-founder and co-host of Next Level University, a global top 100 self-improvement podcast with over 700 episodes, reaching over half a million people in more than 100 countries. Alan is also a professional speaker and a peak performance business coach. Alan's passion is helping entrepreneurs attain holistic self-improvement because he's never met someone who doesn't want to be healthier, who doesn't want to be wealthier, and who doesn't want to be more in love. This episode is jam-packed with value bombs. So without further ado, Alan, thank you for making the time and coming on the Seven Hats podcast. I am super grateful to be here. I really enjoyed the little preamble we had there. And uh, I like the concept of holistic entrepreneur because we talk about holistic self-improvement. So I'm pumped. Let's rock. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, Let's get to it. I really want to learn a little bit more about you, and, and I'm sure the Seven Hatters are eager as well. You quoted Bonnie Ware, who wrote the book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And she said the number one regret of the dying is, I wish I had lived a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. So let's dive a little deeper into your journey of striving to become an engineer and your choice to shift direction to entrepreneurship, coaching, consulting, and now hosting a top global podcast, by the way, congratulations. So as a child, was it your dream to become an engineer? Yeah. So uh, I'll try to give you the, the shorter version, but, and I, by the way, I can tell you've done your research. So that's exciting. So basically my story starts out with something fairly tragic. So I was two years old and my father passed away in a car accident when he was 28. And I was raised by my mother and my sister. I often say I was raised by two women, which actually later in life ended up being a huge strength in some regards. I did have a stepdad from two to 14, and I won't go too deep into that, but let's just say um, there was some really good, but there was definitely, I was no stranger to adversity. So when my father had passed away, my mom didn't have a lot of choices. 
And so when I was seven years old, she gave me this one lesson that I still to this day think is the best lesson I've ever gotten. And the older and older I get, the more and more I love this lesson, which is basically you can be a CEO or you can be a farmer, Alan. I'm going to love you either way. But if you aim high and you're a CEO, you can wake up one day and decide to be a farmer. But it doesn't necessarily work the other way around. So aim high in life and you'll have choices. Now, her version of aiming high was what she wished she had done, which is academics. So she had me really focus on academics. Fast forward, I'm 10 years old. We're in her black BMW. We're driving past Worcester Polytechnic Institute. So it's WPI. Um, For those of you who aren't from New England, it's like a mini MIT. It's like a much less famous MIT, but anyone in New England knows what WPI is. And at the time, my uncle was the track and field coach there for 25 years. As a matter of fact, he's since passed away and they call it Norcross Field to honor him. But anyways, I'm 10 years old and I'm driving past the WPI sign. And my mom basically turns to me and she says, Alan, that's WPI. Your Uncle Merle does track and field there. Really smart people go there. Engineers go there. Engineers make a lot of money. You should go there one day and you'll have choices. So as I, at the time, I didn't really know this, but now in hindsight, she was planting seeds of dreams in my heart, right? Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. Up until this point, my academics were really good. I was mostly A's, maybe a couple B's. My mom said, I'm going to take a chance on you, Alan. She basically said, I'm going to let you take eighth grade off. Uh, you, you, by law, have to go to middle school. She's like, I'll let you take eighth grade off. But she didn't mean like take it off, like not go to school. What she meant is don't, you don't have to try. So up until then, I'm getting all A's and B's, mostly A's. And then all of a sudden, if you look at eighth grade, it's C's, it's D's, and it's B's. Very little A's. She said, but you have to promise me that you'll get the President's Award in high school. The President's Award at the time, I'm not sure if they're still doing this, is a 95 or above GPA out of 100, every report card for all of high school. So there's four report cards a year, four years of high school. That's 16 report cards straight where you cannot get lower than a 95 or above GPA, meaning straight A's. I got 189 in honors English and I'll never, I never took honors English again. <laughs> uh, I was more of a math guy. But anyway, so I did. I got the President's Award. Awesome. So kept my promise to her. We're doing my college essay. I get into WPI. Did great on my SATs, at least the math portion. Got into WPI. And uh, I do electrical and computer engineering, which is one of the most difficult things I've ever done. For those of you who have an engineering degree, you get it. For those of you who don't, it was absolutely brutal, but it was great. So now fast forward, and this is where entrepreneurship started to kind of come into my life. I started a little company called Campus Libre with some of my roommates. It was basically a campus-specific Craigslist for textbooks. And we were going to basically go to the Worcester Consortium schools, Boston schools, then go to the West Coast. And we were going to, we did very well very early, but then we had a falling out with the team. Then I go to Tyco Safety Products and I work at a company called iRobot and I work at a company called Oz Development. I very quickly realize I'm not just going to sit behind a desk and design circuit boards. I love people. I probably should have learned this earlier. I love to communicate. And so what I end up doing is I end up going back for my MBA. Because at the time, my uh, hero, you've already mentioned him on the preamble, is Steve Jobs. At the time, my hero is Steve Jobs, still is a hero of mine. And I looked it up. I was like, my dream is to be a Fortune 500 CEO. And I looked it up. Something like 60% of the Fortune 500 CEOs in America had an engineering undergrad with the MBA combination. And so I was like, okay, I'll go back for my MBA. That way I don't have to design circuits behind a desk alone. I can go into business. So I went into business. Then eventually I end up in a bunch of different companies. So I was a global product manager for iRobot. Then I was a global product manager for um, what used to be Texas Instruments. Now it's Sensata Technologies. 
And then I eventually end up at a company called Cognex. And at this point, I'm job hopping mostly for money because I'm in a lot of school debt. Fast forward, I am eventually uh, an inside sales engineer for a company called Cognex. I get promoted to outside sales. And I remember uh, it was a Friday night. I wasn't working. I was up, up in New Hampshire with my cousin. We were playing Call of Duty and I'm 26 at the time. And we're going to go to TGI Fridays. 2016 was like a horrible winter in New England. And the signs, the snowbanks were like up above the signs. And I'm in New Hampshire and I'm looking at the GPS. I thought the road stayed right. It actually stayed left. I was supposed to yield, didn't yield, end up on the wrong side of the road. And I had seen the biggest lights I'd ever seen, biggest lift kitted truck ever. I actually thought it was a Mack truck. It was not a Mack truck. It was a lift kitted New Hampshire uh, pickup truck. For those of you who have not had a life or death situation, the only way I can explain this is like, there wasn't a question. There wasn't like a, maybe this is it. It was like, this is the end for me. This is it. And it was just like an inexplicable, surreal, super fast millisecond, but also somewhat slow motion, uh, surreal moment. Somehow, my cousin and I are both totally fine. During my speeches, I usually show the car. Now, the thing that's important about this, for me anyways, I've seen pictures of my dad's car. I usually show a picture of my car and they don't look very different. They're both completely totaled. My cousin luckily is okay. Both airbags do deploy. And I was driving a 2004 Volkswagen Passat. Now, the Passat I, was, uh, I bought for five grand up front just to, to save money. I was driving a 2004. Now, mind you, it's 2016. So this is an older car. But it, I used to call it the tank because it was a steel trap, German engineered Passat. It was like a really heavy car. Luckily, it saved my life. And so both airbags did deploy. I hurt my face on the airbag. He hurt his knee. I'm sitting in an armchair drinking whiskey, contemplating my entire life. At this point, this was the main turning point for me because, again, my father passed away in a car accident when he was 28. I'm 26, and I'm like, I don't know what to think about this. That could have been it. And I grew up my whole life hearing stories about John, my dad. So I'm not like taking this lightly at all. It's not like, oh, no worries, I'll buy a new car. I'm sitting there like, whoa, and I had tons and tons of regret. That's where the brawny wear came in. So the quote that I live by now is, you can't see the stars during the day. Sometimes it takes the darkness to see clearly that which you simply could not within the light. There was two stars that I saw after that deep regret. One was Tony Robbins' TED Talk, which I still think is the best TED Talk ever done, personally. Love, love that talk, especially with Al Gore, that conversation. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. that was the best. Yeah, that was the best. exactly, exactly. Uh, and he was right in the front row. That's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, so good. And then the second thing was Bronnie Ware's book. That was the second star that I saw. And Bronnie Ware's book changed my life. As a matter of fact, I have a flashcard that I always carry in my pocket. It has all five regrets. The number one regret of the dying, as you mentioned, I wish I had lived a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. Now, circle back, my mom said, life's about choices. You should be an engineer. You're good at math. Engineers make a lot of money. You'll have choices. And so I did. I am grateful that she put dreams in my heart. But at the end of the day, I wasn't really chasing my own dreams. I think I was doing what I thought was society. Again, it's like Fortune 50 CEO. Okay, let's look up what other people did, right? So instead of following my own inner compass, I was kind of doing a lot of modeling of what I thought would get me success rather than really following what I now refer to as my calling. And so how did I get into engineering? How did I get into entrepreneurship? After that car accident at 26, I'm 32 now. So six years later, I mean, I went all in on personal development. I started my own company called Alan Lazarus LLC, which was basically 
helping educate people on health, wealth, and love, which now we're doing on the podcast. Started a little podcast called Conversations Change Lives. I met Kevin. He had the Hyperconscious podcast. We met up, partnered up. Now we have Next Level University. And here we are 700 episodes later with a global brand. And I'm a consultant and a speaker. And it's just unbelievable because now the transformation that I went through I'm now helping to not only catalyze, but also facilitate with other people. And so that's that's my story. You're definitely a kindred spirit because I just love it when entrepreneurs take hold of their life and see challenges and obstacles as the way, as what life is all about for growth. So that leads me actually and thank you for sharing that story. It's it's I'm glad that you're, you know, you're healthy and you know, you didn't go the fate of your dad. Uh, and I'm sorry about your dad. But to all tragedies, there's some greatness um, in the journey. So I think that's, that's something that, um, that I see in yours. So you seem to thrive at overcoming challenges in your life. But what caught my eye was that you said wanting is the easy part. It's easy to want a great body. It's easy to want a successful business. It's easy to desire an extraordinary relationship. You know, we all want to have the best. Uh, be the best, live the best, call it God complex, right? Best life. Then you bring up a great point. You ask, do we also want what comes with those desires? So can you expand on that? Yeah, uh, I'm so grateful you asked that. So our thing is like health, wealth, and love. So health is physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Wealth is how do you make your money? In other words, do you love what you do? How much do you make? And is that growing or decreasing over time? And where do you invest your money? That's wealth. And then you have love, which is friends, family, intimate relationship, colleagues, clients, mentors, mentees, all that. It's great. Health, wealth, and love. The, the three main facets of a successful, incredible life. I've never met someone who doesn't want to be healthier, who doesn't want to be wealthier, and who doesn't want to be more in love. Those are amazing virtues. Of course, we all want that. Wanting is the easy part, but anyone can want. And I think what's interesting, and, and the best way I can probably articulate this, I remember I was on stage and I was giving, uh, I used to be a fitness coach and a fitness model, and I, I was giving a fitness speech. This was many years ago, I think 2018 or 2019, 2019. And I remember asking the audience, I said this, I said, I want everyone to ask themselves a simple question. This is about fitness, mind you. A simple question. What is the most desirable aspect of a physique, male or female? And everyone knows the answer. It's abs. Okay? Everyone knows it's abs. Why? And I asked the audience, why is that the most desirable part of the physique? And everyone comes to the logical conclusion of it's the most difficult to get and even more difficult to sustain. And I said, I want everyone in this intelligent audience to ask themselves, what would it be like if I woke up tomorrow and everyone on planet Earth had a ripped six pack? And I said, guess what? It would no longer be valuable because no one had to earn it. Because when everyone has it, it's not as valuable. What I wanted everyone to realize, it's hard to get a six pack. That's actually what makes it great. And if we can just understand that, if we can understand that hard work and earning success is actually the goal rather than actually getting the success. Kevin and I um, talk about this a lot because when we first started our podcast, and I'm sure you can relate to this, I remember when four listens a day was awesome. <laughs> And here we are, and it's literally like last week, we had more listens last week alone than we did the entire first year, but we were never doing it for the money. 
we were doing it for the mastery. We were doing it for the impact. And then yes, of course, profitability and we need a profitable business, but we were doing it because it was a dream that we care about. We love self-improvement and we designed our life around self-improvement. Succeeding at podcasting has been nothing short of brutal in terms of hard work, consistency. We have seven episodes a week that we do. And for any podcaster out there, you know how hard that is to sustain. And it's quality episodes too. It's not just like us throwing stuff out there. And it took us a while to ramp up to that. But now here we are about to surpass a quarter million dollar business. And we are, have clients all over the world. And we've got Next Level Podcast Solutions, Next Level Business Solutions. We've got all this awesome success. But I will never lose sight of this. That's all great. And I'm really grateful for it. I really am. But I was on a podcast and someone asked me, what does it mean to be next level? And I had never been asked that question before, believe it or not. And I remember I sat there and I was like, honestly, nobody's going to like my answer, but this is what I actually think it is. What do I do when no one's watching? Some people think I'm full of it. I kind of don't care that much about the shiny, stupid stuff. It's great. Like, of course I want stages and I want money. Okay. But I'll be honest with you. Me going to the gym tonight with my girlfriend after this interview, I'm telling you right now, matters to me more than that next $1,000 speech. I love speaking. I love abundance. I love this business and I love proliferating and helping people. But what matters to me more than anything else is me putting in the work and keeping the promises that I make to myself and earning success. Everyone wants success. Not everyone wants to earn success. And if you can focus on the earning, success will be a byproduct. Whereas if you focus on success, you might end up with shiny object syndrome, chasing butterflies all day. I think wanting to earn it is more important. Kevin laughs because he's like, if you won the lottery of a million dollars, like you'd literally like give it back because I want to earn it. I would rather earn it than just have it given. Now, of course, I wouldn't just give it back. I'd donate it to charity. Of course, I'd proliferate what we're doing in the world and we have our own little charity. But I think that's what I would say to answer your question is, it's really, really important. Everyone wants, but who wants to earn it more than they want it? And when you shift that, I'm telling you, watch out world. You mentioned Emilia. I want to touch upon what a relationship with an entrepreneur looks like. So, Oh, beautiful. You and Emilia speak with other entrepreneur couples every weekend. Yes. What things have you learned and experienced as an entrepreneur and what things do you think she's learned being in relationship with you as an entrepreneur that can help others understand the mindset required to cultivate a successful relationship in the roller coaster world of an entrepreneur's life? Oh, my goodness. Fire questions. I'm so grateful that this is happening because um, I've never been asked this question before. So far, that's two in a row. I've learned so much about myself because, okay. In an intimate relationship that is truly flourishing, you're going to learn a lot about yourself because you're going to have certain challenges. In addition to that, owning a business with your intimate partner is a whole nother level of that. So what have I learned? First and foremost, take any relationship and now add a business on top of it. It almost, it almost makes your communication skills have to be that much better. Your vulnerability has to be that much better. Your ability to identify and rectify root causes of problems in advance has to be better. You have to be so self-aware. So for example, in our business, I am a lot farther along in certain areas than Emilia is in terms of the sales process or prospecting or filling our relationship docs, virtual events. So we do monthly virtual events. She's a lot more aware on the content. So when it comes to actual relationships, I'll be completely honest with you. 
She's far better at intimate relationships and interrelationship dynamics than I am. She's just studied it longer. Whereas finance and business, my business acumen and finance acumen is a lot higher, not just because of my MBA, but because I've always been interested in it. That's the key is self-awareness, the divide and conquer mentality. Kevin and I do this too in our NLU business, but the we is the name of Emilia and I's business. It's called the we for a reason. So it's like, um, it's not about the me, it's about the we. And so it's basically the yin and the yang. It's the masculine and the feminine working in perfect harmony toward a common mission and a common goal. And how do you do that? So everyone out there has their own core aspirations, core values, and core beliefs. And the best way that I can describe this to anyone listening is imagine you're in the car with your intimate partner and you're driving from Boston, Massachusetts to Los Angeles, California. See, you both have the same destination. So you have the same core aspiration. But now I want you to imagine that one of you loves country music and the other one hates country music. And one of you loves hard, heavy metal, and the other one hates heavy metal. If you're listening to heavy metal, that's what I would call a core value in conflict. Core aspirations are about the future, aka where you're headed, what you're building towards. Core values are how you show up in the present. Core beliefs is how you get there, the approaches, the paradigms. So now imagine you're both going to LA, same destination, awesome, same core aspiration. Now you love the same music. You're listening to Peaceful Piano on Spotify. You both love Peaceful Piano but you have a different belief. See, imagine your intimate partner wants to go the northern route and you want to go the southern route. Guess what? You literally can't take the same car without harboring some resentment. So what I've learned from relationship talks and being in a relationship with my business partner, Emilia, is we've done 46 weeks in a row of relationship talks with couples all over the world. But what I've learned most importantly is If you have core aspirations, core values, and core beliefs in conflict, you have got to identify those early because I promise you those bugs in the garden are getting bigger on their own and eventually they might take the garden if you're not proactive in identifying and rectifying those in advance. This reminds me, Stephen Covey, Mm. habit number five, seek to understand before being understood. And that story about the two co-workers in a in an office, one is hot, one is cold. So the person who's hot opens the window to get some fresh air. The person that's cold closes the window. Then they go back and forth, opening the window and closing the window and opening the window. They get mad at each other. Speaks to the analogy of, I want to go south, I want to go north. The moment of clarity is the communication aspect of things. Yeah. When, when, the, when the employee or the person who's hot asks the other, why do you want the window closed? And so the person says, look, I'm really cold. Why do you want the window open? Well, I'm really hot. And what happens is that by understanding, they shifted their desks around and it worked out with the window being open for both. Perfect. Right? And I think communication is so key to relationships. I've been married for 17 years. I have to say that the secret for me at least, and I love what you're saying, The secret for me, at least, is obviously communication. And two, I don't know what you think about this, support. Yeah. For me, I think trust is underneath both of those. I think trust is number one. I think communication is number two. And then I think support, support comes in different love languages, but I think those three are fire. Um, When you mentioned the communication, we actually have a three-step process. First step is courage. Courage to admit the truth to yourself. Like, what is my truth? Does it really bother me that he doesn't put the bath mat back up or whatever? It's like courage to admit it because you cannot communicate a truth that you haven't first admitted. 
right? Because a lot of times it's like, I wish that didn't bug me, but it still kind of does, right? Um, Emilia was was seven minutes late <laughs> to one of our, our coaching sessions with a paid client. And that was a courageous communication moment where it's like, I have to talk to her because, and again, I'm not calling her out. She's never late. I, she had like a Zoom issue. I remember wanting to talk to her about that to make sure that how can we effectively move forward and make sure that doesn't happen again type of thing. So the first step is courage. Have the courage to admit the truth. That can be the hardest part. Number two is vulnerable communication. Vulnerably, don't attack. Vulnerably come in as sweetheart. Like I was in the room for like seven minutes with our clients, kind of wondering where you were. And I, I just, it didn't, it felt uncomfortable because they were already uncomfortable because relationships are, are a scary topic. And so I just communicate my truth. Third step. So you can't get to the third step until you do the second and the first step. Third step is problem solving, collaborative problem solving. So we call it the three C's, courage, communication, collaborative problem solving. That's exactly what Covey did, right? It's like, have the courage to admit that I'm hot and you're cold. Okay, now communicate, I'm hot, why? Okay, well, or why do you not want the window closed? Hot, cold. Then they collaboratively problem solved and they switched the desks. Honestly, that communication triangle is kind of what we call it, the three C's of belonging. That's what's going to create the trust and the belonging that is necessary for when the next challenge comes. Because there's one thing we all know for sure, that next challenge is coming. And that's the one thing you can guarantee and count on. You now have met and interviewed hundreds of entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and some of the most successful people in the world. What are some of the key things you've learned from them about limiting beliefs? Limiting beliefs. Uh, You know what's interesting? The common denominator from the most successful people is that they have very few. Their belief in themselves is so high, so high that it's almost unrelatable. And what I find fascinating is, you know, like a David Meltzer, for example. David Meltzer is a dear friend and mentor of mine. Um, We go on his show every other week. His level of self-belief is so high that it's kind of difficult for him to give advice to people that, that it's not like that. And I, I deal with that as well, for sure. Um, and I have a whole self-belief versus self-worth paradigm. I think I struggle with self-worth, not self-belief. Um, and I think some people you know, are the opposite. But I think when you start learning from some of the most successful people in the world, you do find that the common denominator is they believed in themselves almost regardless of circumstances and feedback. They never doubted their own ability. I don't want to say never. Maybe they had spouts of doubt. But the people who succeed at the highest level, I do find a common denominator is that they have very little limiting beliefs about themselves. Um, But I do think they do have some limiting beliefs that limit them outside of that. So for example, some people that have a lot of self-belief get a little bit faked out when other people pretend to. And this, I've been guilty of this. So I didn't realize this until later in my life, but there's a lot of people who pretended to have high self-belief and high aspirations when really they were just mirroring me. And then what years, 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 years later, I would look at their life and I'd go, well, I thought, and then I started to see a common theme um, of like, oh, they told me they wanted those things and they were working toward them while I was there. But when I left, they weren't necessarily as as uh, focused on their goals. Um, and that's been pretty obvious on the NLU team as well. Um, because I think when you get around aspiration, it tends to rub off on you. But the source of aspiration needs to be true, authentic self-belief um, and that's one thing that I've found across the board. Um, Anthony Trucks, David Meltzer, Michael Burt, like these people, uh, Evan Carmichael, they have a really, really high level of self-belief. And yes, it can be built over time, but I do think a lot of it was an unconscious competency as well. 
So you think they were born with it? Injected very early. I'm talking from between ages one and seven. There's something specific of injecting self-belief, I believe. I'm not 100% sure on this, but my girlfriend, Emilia, has high, high, high self-belief as well. And I'm starting to really understand as I study more and more neuroscience, like the self-belief is, I think, injected from a very young age. And obviously, you heard the stories of my mother. I I remember being 12 years old and uh, my buddy Keith Corton and I, Kiki, sitting across the table and we were going to start a company called LazCor, L-A-Z, my last name, and Core, his last name, Corton. And we were going to start a video game company and we were gonna, our first video game was going to be Musket, the American Revolution. And, and I remember my mom was sitting there like putting wind into the sails of this conversation. And I think in hindsight, the truth of the matter is, is that I was steering that conversation because I am just more aspirational than Kiki. Nothing against him. I just am. Um, because I do think I have more self-belief. Um, as a matter of fact, I know that I do because we both wanted to go to WPI and he didn't think he could get in. Um, and he didn't get in. But anyways, I do think it's important to understand that some of the people that maybe are super, super successful, maybe they don't understand some of your self-belief struggles because even someone like Oprah, like despite all the adversity, she still really did always believe in herself. And I think that one common denominator does shine true if you really take a look. Yeah, I think for entrepreneurs, self-belief and imposter syndrome is really kind of the big, those are the big two big words. So let's talk a little bit about imposter syndrome. You said it's easy to feel like an imposter when you're comparing yourself to the best in the world. Yeah. Did you feel like an imposter when you wanted to compete with some of the best bodybuilders or when you wanted to start a podcast in a sea of podcasts out there? Yeah, I did. I did. And I think that I think that imposter syndrome, it has deeper layers than what most people understand. So, and that I, what I understood as well. Intellectually, I knew I could do it, but emotionally, I hadn't done it yet. And so there's a disconnect between my subconscious and my conscious mind. So the conscious mind is the prefrontal cortex, you know, the part of you that's very aware. The subconscious is the part of you that's, you know, beating your heart without you having to think about it. Basically, imposter syndrome, I think, is the disconnect between what you currently believe intellectually and what you actually are in the physical, tangible reality. And how big is that disconnect? And so how do you bridge that gap? You put in the reps. You put in the work. You... This is why um, people say fake it till you make it, which I don't like that saying because I think it, it gives the wrong idea. But I think what fake it till you make it is supposed to mean is that everyone feels imposter syndrome at first, no matter how much they believe in themselves. When I first started speaking, I mean, now I've, I've gotten over 120 speeches under my belt. And so, of course, now I don't feel like an imposter podcasting, right? I'm over 750, if not more. And it's like, I'm not an imposter now. But that's because I have it. In, it's, this is in my bones now. This is in my, in my body, my physiology. But at the beginning, of course, there's a disconnect between what you know you can do and what you feel like you can do. And so you got to understand that difference between intellectual knowledge and then actual feeling and embodiment. So you are talking about, because you, you mentioned this in some of your pieces, the emotionally driven individual versus the analytical logical type. How do you compare those two individuals and how have you dealt with that? Because you're more in the logical, analytical type. Mm. So uh, I believe there's four facets to all of our personality. And I think of it like a car with four people in it. And everybody wants to drive and everybody wants an opinion on where we're headed and why. Uh, Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. So the physical is your central nervous system, peripheral nervous system. That's just basically, no one has a P first. So we have the PMES system, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. We all have all four, but what's your first letter? Your first letter is the one that's usually driving the car. 
And for me, my M is driving the car. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've always been an intellectual engineer, like mathematical, rational. So, um, and for those of you who don't know a ton about neuroscience, that you've got the left side of the brain, which is the really rational, analytical, mathematical structure, syntax, like that computer engineer type part of the mind. And on the right is the creative, intuitive, warm, loving part. And so very few people are able to, so like if you think of an Elon Musk, very left brain super left brain, right? If you think of an Oprah Winfrey, very right brain, extremely intuitive, right? So we all have this balance of yin and yang. And, and a lot of times our, our brain is not working in harmony. And so what I do with my clients is I identify, okay, what's their first letter? If you're E first, and this is the best way to explain it to your listeners, when you go get a coffee, are you doing it for the caffeine, the result, or are you doing it for the experience of the coffee, the way it tastes? For me, it's always the stimulant. I'm a much more results-oriented person. Experiences don't matter nearly as much to me. Results do, and, and I'm wired that way. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean I don't enjoy experiences. What it means is experiences are secondary to results. Most people, the majority on the statistical bell curve, have experience first, results second. And that's actually why a lot of people struggle with fitness is because they would rather enjoy the experience of food than have to then worry about their results. It's just the truth. That's what I do is I figure, okay, so if you're out there listening, are you emotional first or are you mental first? Those are usually the first two letters, but I got to say some people end up spiritual first. um, And that's another level that we can get into if you want to. That's people who use their intuition above all else. So your P is your ability to take action. Your M is your ability, your knowledge and your intellect, rational decision-making paradigm. Your E is your emotions, experiences, and feelings. And then your S is your intuition. And your imagination as well, by the way. So to me, who's driving the car? And you need to have the right person driving the car at the right time. So if I'm in bed with Emilia and our little dog, Tucker, I'm not necessarily going to have my M driving. I'm going to want to experience that moment and I'm going to want to be warm and loving. But if we're in a business meeting and I've got seven team members and we're looking at analytics, I'm going to, my M is driving. We all have someone who we're most comfortable driving. The majority of the world, their emotions drive. Um, obviously, Elon Musk, his mental drives. And so you just got to understand yourself and then learn how to kind of control who's driving the car. Which one of those types has the best chance of having the least amount of imposter syndrome? Ooh. I think the S. The S type has the least amount of imposter syndrome because, because the S is the infinite part of you that knows your true intrinsic value. Um, and I think that after my car accident, that's what I really got in touch with. You know, um, before that, I was very driven by my my M, my mental, my my intellect, uh, and I still am to many regards. But but now I have a purpose prayer that guides me. Yeah, my spiritual has a much bigger say in my life than it ever used to, and I think that that's helped me a lot overcome any sort of ego or imposter syndrome or arrogance or any of that. I would agree. I think when you tap into the knowledge base to to the truth, you can't feel like you're not good enough. It's impossible. So let's shift a little bit to a photo I saw of you. Okay. I noticed a before and after photo on Instagram. And in two years, you transformed your body from what we call normal and healthy to full-on bodybuilding with an eight-pack. And I mean, I'm not just talking about an eight-pack. I'm talking about probably, if I would guess, 2% to 3% body fat. (laughs) It was low, very low. It was low. Now, I work out daily. And I do like to eat, so there is an emotional part of it. So I'm trying. I don't know if I'll get to the six-pack, but that's not the goal. 
If I work out daily and I know how difficult it is to get up each day, stay consistent, find discipline to achieve the hairy audacious goals that we set, but that is next level of what you did. So tell us, what was it like for these two years? What was your routine and how did you manage to stay on it with all the distractions you faced? Because you were building you know, your career and relationship and all that good stuff. How did you do it and what was, what was your routine? Yeah, I appreciate the question. I'm going to say this up front, um, and I do think this is a potentially an uncomfortable thing for people to hear, and they might not like that I say it. There's a reason why most successful business owners are not in shape. And the truth of the matter is, is it, that most successful business owners aren't. But guess who is? The ones who own fitness businesses. So when you say it's like, well, you're building your career, how did you do it? My career was revolving around fitness. I was a fitness coach, fitness model, and a fitness competitor. And I was trying to build my entire brand around fitness. And so that made it a million times easier. I don't want to say easier. Of course, it's still hard. But my circle of concern was obviously more integrated, if that makes sense. And so one of the reasons why entrepreneurs struggle to stay in shape is because, to be completely honest, I'm just going to be transparent on this. Being in shape is a full-time job. It, I mean, Emily and I are going to the gym tonight. We have our meals prepped every single week. you know. And at this point, I'm on the other side of the bow tie. I can explain the bow tie concept quickly because I think that'll give context. Yeah, go ahead. The bow tie concept is this. At the beginning of any journey, fitness, business, or otherwise, the level of effort in needs to be 10 for zero results back. Then eventually it's nine effort for one back. Then eight and two, seven and three, six and four, five and five. Now, at the, now you're at the center of the bow tie. And by the way, that can take years. That can take years. At the center of the bow tie, now you're putting five effort in and you're getting five results back. And it's like, yeah, all right, this is starting to work. Okay, cool. Then it starts to flip. This is the compound effect paying off. This is consistency paying off. All of a sudden, you're putting level four effort in and you're getting six back. Oh, cool. Now you're putting three in, you're getting seven back, two, eight, one, nine. Eventually, you can put in very little effort and still get ridiculously high results. This is like Joe Rogan. He, he doesn't have to podcast ever again, and he'll have more listens than you and I ever will, ever. Why? Because he was more consistent starting from an earlier age. And so, again, that's the bow tie. And so, how did I do it in fitness? I'm not going to lie. I invested a ton of time and energy and money into supplements, trainers. I had a fitness coach friend, Kevin. All my friends became fitness Plus, I was building my brand around it. So everything was fitness. So I had a lot of reasons to be in shape because obviously you don't, if you're a, uh, you know, a, a fitness personal trainer, fitness coach, and you're not in shape, you're doing something wrong genuinely. And it's actually shocking to me that some people are, are that way. But that's kind of how I did it is I surrounded my entire life around fitness. Now, there's one piece that I wasn't able to share yet, which is my goal to overcome alcohol. So I used to drink often. And partying was a part of my life for sure. You know, high school, tail end of high school, college for sure. And then in corporate as well in sales, industrial automation. And I wanted to quit. Now, what I did is I sort of miyagi myself, for lack of better phrasing, little karate kid reference there. And I said, okay, I want to quit alcohol. And this has this sort of hold on me. And I want to get rid of it. Now, I'm not like drinking every day type of thing, tons and tons and tons. But I, I definitely drink too often and I want to quit because I don't want to poison my brain anymore. All right. So what I do is I make fitness a bigger priority, which what's bad for fitness? Alcohol. So I basically just decided to set a fitness goal that was so high that it wouldn't allow any wiggle room for alcohol. And so I decided to be a fitness competitor. I did men's physique. I did three different shows. I got in fourth place, my first one, uh, first place, my second one, won my second one. So I came in a little bit arrogant on the first one, lost, 
came in humble on the second one and won. And then <laughs> I reestablished my arrogance and lost the the third show. No, again. But basically, that's how I did it is I, I surrounded my entire life around fitness, including my business. And if you're an entrepreneur out there listening, which you probably are, or, or you want to start your own business, just understand like the truth of the matter is fitness is a full-time job. There's a reason most people aren't in shape. It is very, very difficult. And anyone who says it's easy is either trying to sell you a program. Like, yes, it's simple. Sleep, hydration, nutrition, training, and mobility. That's it. That's all you need to know. Do those effectively and consistently and you will be in shape. But you can't sell that. That's fundamentals. It's easy. The truth of the matter is, it's simple rather, but it's not easy. Fitness is simple. You want to lose weight, go in a caloric deficit. You want to gain weight, go in a caloric surplus. You want to gain muscle, go in a caloric surplus and weight train, strength train. It's actually fairly simple once you understand it. It's just very, very difficult to actually do it consistently because the last thing your your mind, body, heart, and soul really want to do is be uncomfortable all the time. So Yeah. And I think that's what the seven hats is all about, right? And I speak about it when I first, uh, on one of my first shows, when I tell my story, six pack is nice and it, and I want it so bad. But it's not necessary because I understand exactly what you were saying. If you want to be world-class at anything, it's a full-time job, Full-time job. whether it's finances, whether it's relationships, you know, your career. So you got to find some sort of balance if there is such a thing as balance. There's really no such thing as balance. But if your marriage is falling apart and you're focusing on your six-pack, that's a problem. problem. You know what I mean? So you got to figure out where in life you are. And what's most important, but don't neglect the other aspects of your life and your um, the other categories of life, because you know what is exactly what you said. Just be consistent, and you'll see results. And then when you need to focus your efforts somewhere else, you're not going to lose for a week or two or three weeks. You're not going to lose that momentum. Now, if you go off for too long, you're going to lose. And you have to start from scratch. But that's the goal. So I love what you're saying. You know, you know what else I love about you. Appreciate it. What I love about you is that you're into what Darren Hardy calls getting better every day and what Tony Robbins calls Kanai. And for those who don't know what Kanai is, it's constant and never ending improvement. What is your, and I think you have one, but, and you, you speak about it. So I'm really curious. Do you have a morning routine, an evening routine, a bookend? Like, what do you do for Kanai? Mm, I, I'm a huge fan of Darren, by the way. Um, his content is some of the best content on the Incredible. internet. Incredible, yep. Insane and his book, The Compound Effect. Oh, it's unbelievable, right? Yep. Best content on the internet, genuinely. I've gone through that course like a dozen times. Yep. Um, and you can probably tell in this conversation, <laughs> by the way. Uh, so my morning routine, I have what, what I call peak performance tracking, and I've been doing it for many, many years, and all of my clients are on it. And the entire NLU team, so we have a 11-person team. We just got a new member, so a 12-person team. And everyone has, we have a, a dashboard. And it's actually in Google Sheets. So it's not that sophisticated, but it's simple and it's profound and it works. And it's funny because Darren Hardy actually uses Google Sheets too. But anyways, so we have something called peak performance tracking. And every NLU team member is on it and every one of my Next Level Business Solutions clients is on it, every single one. And it's basically a daily dozen. And it's broken up into health, into wealth, and into love. But it's also broken up into your morning, your afternoon, and your evening. So I break my day into thirds. And so yes, my morning routine wake up in the morning, spend a little quality time with Emilia, kiss, kiss, all that. 
I go and I grab Tucker, our little dog, and I take him outside. He he pees. We call it pees and poops. Um, <laughs> yeah, you get it. And then and we go for a little walk around the little cul-de-sac there. And immediately, then I let him off the leash. He goes and sees his mom. And then I go up to my office and I'm on WhatsApp. WhatsApp is me figuring out what where everyone's at in terms of my clients and all that stuff. Then uh, foam roll and mobility in my office. My foam roller is right in my office, my home office. And then literally I go down, I take a shower. I'm listening to either Darren Hardy or a book or whatever during my shower. And uh, at this point, I've eaten a little something probably. Then I leave, go to the studio. And then when I get to the studio, my first call doesn't ever start until 10 a.m. at the minimum. So the earliest I start, so my first third is for me. My second third is for service. My third third is for my relationship and for fitness. Now, recently, this just shifted because we're going to the gym in the morning now, but I'm going to talk to my girlfriend because I do think I like the evening better um, because I want to get my most important work done in the morning. Are you an early riser? It depends. That's relative. But I would say Emilia and I, it depends on when we go to bed. We're big on getting eight hours of sleep. So last night is so critical. We went to bed last night at probably 1130 and I think we woke up at 730. But um, a lot of times we, we call it um, alarm hygiene. Like, cause at the beginning, when we first moved in together, it was like her alarm going off, then my alarm going off. And it was like, whoa, we need to synchronize alarms. So last night she's like, I didn't set an alarm. I'm like, me neither. Awesome. Let's sleep as much as we can while we can. So it fluctuates slightly, but normally I would say 11 to seven. Morning workouts just did not work for me because it's just, you put so much effort into it and it's just, you're just, at least I'm not ready. I don't know. Uh, Mark Wahlberg does a 4 a.m. insane, you know, workout. I don't know how he does it. But I like four or five o'clock workouts. Like I agree. So in the evening, yeah. In, in the evening, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Same. Same. So I like to close out my interviews. And listen, I can speak with you probably for about a week. We can talk about so many topics. I'd like to close out my interviews with the following question: Who did you have to stop being, and who did you need to become to manifest your current success? Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, who I had to stop being. The someone who tried to belong with ordinary. So uh, I grew up in a small town, Uxbridge, Massachusetts, with, with quite frankly, a small town mentality. And I had so many friends from home, so many friends from college, so many friends from corporate. And to be honest with you, just being transparent here, even if they were to ever listen to this, um, I don't speak regularly with any of them. And who I had to stop being was I think that subconsciously I, growing up, wanted to fit in. And I do think that that's actually part of why I drank, if I'm honest with myself. I think it shut off that prefrontal cortex and that dreaming. I've always been a big dreamer, even when you hear that story of me at 12, talking about starting a company, a video game company. And I think that when I drank, it shut all that future orientation off and it made me feel like I belong and it made me fit in. And I, I was a lot more fun. And I'll be honest with about that. Um, it is what it is. And that's what I had to, I had to let that version of Alan sort of pass away. And, and the truth of the matter is, is I wasn't meant to be, I think, whatever, statistically average or normal or regular or whatever, maybe because of my self-belief, whatever. I don't consider myself better than anyone else, but I do know that whatever it is that I am, it's definitely different than most. And I think that's good. And I, and I, and I've just, I've always been so insatiably curious to learn everything I can. And for anyone listening, I mean, I didn't take a course on this stuff. I just, I just love learning. And, uh, and I always have, I've always been a, 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 you know, the unexamined life is not worth living by Socrates. And 
I examine life all day, every day, 24-7, 365. I just always do. Obviously, not when I'm sleeping, but even then I'm contemplating it. So, yeah, that's what had to die. What I had to become was someone who had the courage to be disliked. I, I, even some of your listeners, quite frankly, I, they probably won't like me. I don't know if I'm an unlikable guy. A lot of people think I'm arrogant or whatever. I don't, I don't consider myself arrogant. I just really do believe in myself like a lot. And I think that that's rare. And, and I think that insecure people think I'm arrogant and that's fine. And they can think whatever they want. And I'm finally in a place now <laughs> where like, I know that growing up I said, I don't care what people think, but I really did. I'm okay with being the, the weirdo. Um, you know, I, I, I'm reading Lincoln on a Thursday night, like on my Kindle. Um, I go to bed early. Like my girlfriend and I, we contemplate this stuff all the time. And I am, whatever, I'm weird. And that's what I needed to lean into. I, I was meant to be weird and that's okay. And, and so that's the part of me that's real and authentic. And um, so the old part of me that had to die was the part of me that wanted to fit in and wanted to belong and wanted to appease. The part of me that needed to come is the courage to just really just be what I am and say what I really think and feel. Even on this interview, the old me wanted to say things that would be approved of. And the new me is like, just say what you really think. Yeah. You know, and that's what I tried to do. So, You know who's going to like you? The seven hatters. They're going to like you. And you know why? Because you're the 1%. And the ones that don't get you, they're not part of the 1%. Just remember that. I appreciate so, that. So what does success look like to you now? Uh, what I'm doing when no one's watching. Who I am when no one's watching. Um, success looks to me, like, like I said, health, wealth, and love. So physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Wealth is basically how I'm making my money. I, I make my money in three primary ways. Speaking, podcasting, coaching, and consulting. I love, I love the, cons- the to me, the consulting and the coaching is like really my genius zone, I believe. Um, I love digging deep. I was on the phone with someone from Australia earlier today and just the breakthroughs we had. Uh, her name's Helen. Amazing. Um, so wealth, which is like how you make your money, how much you make, which is increasing. And then where I invest it. And then love, which is like your relationship with yourself, your relationship with your significant other, your relationship with, you know, your your business partners and 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 your team and and your mentors and your mentees and your clients. Um, so health, wealth, and love is is kind of the, the, the mental answer, but what does it mean to be successful? It's really like, am I maximizing my potential and am I contributing to my greatest possible level consistently and sustainably over the long term? Legacy has always been a big word for me because I was given a second chance and, and, and I know my dad would have turned a lot of things around had he been given that second chance and even that's hard for me to talk about. But like, that's what I, I feel like I want to earn that second chance every single day. And, and to me, what matters to me most is what, who I am when no one's watching. Like when we get off this interview, I'm literally going to do some work and then I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to treat Emilia like, like, like she deserves to be treated. And I just care about that more than anything else. And, and when I'm not succeeding behind the scenes, I don't even like feel, I don't feel good. I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel proud about myself. And that's what the car accident did. And that's what I'll end with. The car accident got me to realize that I was making poor choices. And, and as long as I'm making good choices in my real life, not on social media, not on TikTok, like in my real life, that's all that matters to me. Am I making positive choices every single day aligned with my highest self? And if that's a yes, 
and it's getting better every day, then, then, then hell yeah, that's what success means to me. Well, I can tell you your dad is looking down and I'm sure he's very proud of you. So that I can tell you for sure. All right. Let's tell the seven hatters how they can find you and how they can benefit and learn more from you. I really appreciate those words, uh, what you said. So thank you. Um, the seven hatters. I like that. Seven hatters. You can find me. You can Google my name. If you Google my name, you'll see LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, um, Next Level University. You can find us anywhere on any podcast platform. We're also on YouTube. We have a website, nextleveluniverse.com. So Next Level Universe is everything next level. Nextleveluniverse.university.com. And, and please reach out. If you, if you got value from this, feel free to reach out. Between my assistant and I, we literally get back to everyone. Um, so I'm happy to, to connect. Alan, thank you for gracing us with your wisdom. And uh, I look forward to continuing our relationship and, uh, and speaking soon. I do as well. You are uh, very explicit, very direct, and I appreciate it. And you take your platform very seriously, which I also really appreciate. Um, because again, self-improvement needs to be in the pockets of more people around the world. And it, it, that's how the, life, the world's going to get better. Everyone sweep their own porch and the whole world will be clean. You know, I, I just appreciate that you're on this mission with me. I appreciate it. Saul, brother. Talk to you soon. Talk soon. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alan. Let's end today with the segment of the show that I refer to as, what can we hang our hat on? And here's my takeaway. Alan was once asked what it meant to be next level. He responded, it's what I do when no one is watching. And I agree. Success boils down to hard work executed with consistency and discipline. There's a reason why we're the 1%. Many people don't realize how hard it is and how all-in you have to be to become an overnight success, especially if you are one of the seven hatters who seeks to become a holistic entrepreneur. People look at celebrity entrepreneurs like Gary Vee, Steve Jobs, Damon John, Grant Cardone, Elon Musk, or Oprah and think that success is somehow glamorous. But I assure you it's not. Overnight success is measured by years of grinding when no one is watching. It's waking up early while everyone is asleep, burning the midnight oil, and putting in the reps over and over and over again. Alan so eloquently stated that everyone wants success, but who wants to earn it more than they want it? And when you shift into that mindset, watch out world. I want to thank Alan once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you received from it so we can attract even more high-quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selick, and I tip my hat to you.